Yeah, I would say this, and this is so simple. It's make sure that your walk with God is what it should be. Mm. We're not performing. We've got to be men of God. We've got to be deep in the Word personally. You're listening to an ongoing discussion on life, ministry, and leadership. This is the Brian Sams Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. I am Brian Sams, your host. It's so good to have you folks back with us today. We are in the middle of a series of lessons on biblical preaching. We are highlighting the opportunity that you would have this fall to study preaching at Veritas Baptist College with me, Kurt Skelly, Carrie Schmidt, and Kenny Baldwin. And it's an exciting opportunity, and I thought in preparation for that, we would just study a little bit about preaching here on the podcast. And today, I am joined by my friend, Pastor Jake Potter of the Eufola Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Jake, welcome to the Brian Sams Podcast. Thank you so much. So glad to be here and love the podcast, love what you guys are doing. Yeah, thank you so much. I love when we get a chance to connect together in various places and looking forward to having you at River City Baptist Church this fall for our special Awaken Conference. Can't wait to have you here. Appreciate your friendship. Hey, tell us a little about, about Eufola. What is that all about? What's the, Where does that name come from? So Eufola is, it's not necessarily a town. Back in the day, it was an area in Statesville. And they had their own post office, kind of their own area. So our church is right off of Eufola Road. It was started about probably about 40, 45 years ago and uh, just kind of been in this area. They stuck with the name and plan on keeping it, not changing. It's kind of different, unique. In this area, everybody kind of knows knows where it is. So that's kind of where the name comes from, just the area. We run into each other from time to time, preaching and at different events. And the last time that we ran into each other was actually just recently at the funeral for Shane Lewis. Of course, I know you know Shane better than I do. I love Shane. Shane was a great preacher. And I wanted to dedicate this episode to Shane as he recently passed away. Why don't you tell us a little about your friendship with Shane and what he meant to the church and just to other preachers. Me and Shane were actually in the same school, and he was about 11 years older than me, but I've known him since I was a little kid. We both grew up in North Texas there and uh, just got to know him for years. Shane, just for me personally, was a person that prayed for me, encouraged me when I was away from the Lord. Once I kind of got my life straightened out and got headed in the right direction, man, he was one of my biggest cheerleaders, counselors, friends, and I think a lot of preachers and people across the country would say the same thing. Just a humble man, always had a ton of wisdom. You know, he was somebody I would call, and you know this, Brian, I think there's times as a pastor where we just freak out. There's a (laughs) lot going on, and before I reacted many times, he was one of the three phone calls that I would make, and he always just had that calming presence, that calming spirit, and as a pastor, just as a pastor to another pastor, just showed so much wisdom, had that calming effect. So such an encouragement to me, not only as an assistant pastor and a young preacher with major decisions to make, but as a friend and just, man, it was just awesome in that way, always accessible to me and just over the years has been one of the greatest encouragements to my life um, in ministry. And Shane was a great testament of just solid Bible preaching. And I just want to say before we get on in the episode, if joy or any of the children happen to stumble upon this episode we want you all to know that we love brother shane and we love you and we're praying for you and we know that he affected so many people's lives for the good and for god's glory we're so thankful that shane was a part of all of our lives and we want to be faithful like he was and we want to preach as he did and so god bless the memory 
of Shane. Tell us a little bit about your ministry experience and what led you to Eufola, and just give us a little background of where you came from. Yeah, so I grew up in North Texas at a great church there, and I uh, was called to preach at a really young age and fought that for years. Ended up going to Bible college in Northwest Indiana. Met my wife through a fella on my dorm floor. Crazy story, we didn't have the money to go home to Texas for Thanksgiving and went home with him and the rest is history. So we got married and I married, as crazy as it sounds, I married a Yankee and ended up moving to Pennsylvania and started my first place on staff was at a little church in Milton, Pennsylvania. And it was one of those places where the offering was counted and we were going to decide who wasn't getting paid and what wasn't getting paid. You know what I mean? And it was just, man, it was just rough, you know, rough time. And really through that, honestly, man, I got burned a little bit and just personally burned out, you know, self-inflicted burnout. And I was really struggling with the Lord, with church, even as a preacher. So I married, my wife's name is Sarah, and she is Charlene Toole's sister. And a lot of people don't know that. Pastor Scott there in Baltimore said, why don't you guys just come down for a Wednesday night? It was about three hours away. We drove, went to church, and uh, that night, man, God just got a hold of my heart in some ways. We kind of started commuting from Pennsylvania to Rosedale every weekend just to be just to sit under his preaching and to be mm. part of that church. And God really, I had a, I was bivocational at that time, so I'd kind of step back from the church, was just working a job. We started just commuting, and God just worked on our hearts, and we knew that we just needed to be part of that church. Mm. So I resigned my job. We moved to Baltimore, not to be on staff, no promises of being on staff, and I just moved there to be part of that church. And I got a job at Lowe's. And started serving in the church. Eventually, he asked me to start a singles class, preach and teach every Sunday to them, kind of built a community there. It really exploded. I worked at Lowe's, so, you know, a lot of weekends I still had to work. Well, they would let me take my lunch break, go to church and preach, and then go back to work (laughs) on Sundays. And that thing exploded. And, man, he called me and said, hey, do you want to – we feel like – we want to bring you on staff at that time. There's a large church. At that time, there was only two other assistant pastors. And he said, we want to bring you on as a a, – the singles assistant, like a, you know, like a young adult pastor, but also to do maintenance. So I started there. can't remember the exact year, but about 17, 18 years ago now, maybe closer to 19. I started serving there and the Lord just opened doors there and has continued to. So I served there on the maintenance staff and as the singles pastor. And then one thing led to another. When I left, I was the administrative pastor, kind of oversaw the day-to-day operations, preached when he was gone and and I was sitting in service one Easter Sunday, and things were just clicking. You know what I mean? We were having multiple services, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting in the service with nothing to do, if that <sighs> makes sense. Yeah, totally. The, the stuff that I had done, we had it running like a machine, and God just started breaking my heart that I needed to be preaching mm. weekly. Mm. And I fought that, man, because I had it made. You know what I mean? I, oh, sure. I, I would have, ministerially speaking, as far as financially and uh, a stable position. And so we just started praying and exploring that. I fought it for years. And then there's a pastor in Charlotte who I had met through some friends, and I'd started doing a youth conference for him every year. I had called me and said, hey, do you know anybody looking for a church? We There's a little church here in Statesville, which I knew the current pastor of. He said, man, it's an awesome place. And so I sent him two resumes, matter of fact, of other men, and he had met with Eufola. They had reached out to him. He called me back after meeting with them again and said, man, if you've ever considered pastoring, you need to check out this place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of was torn, didn't, I knew of the church, already knew some about it, but I, you know, kind of, well, that Wednesday night, one of the deacons called and said, hey, we, 
you're going to be our next pastor. He actually said that. That's great. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. You know, I'm not moving from where we're at to a little country church. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've got a lot here and man, God just started working on my heart and they, two of the guys from Eufola actually said, well, can we, can we fly up to Baltimore and spend a weekend with you? This is before I ever came here, ever preached here. And I said, sure, come on, man. So they came up, spent the weekend. I really loved them, and, man, we really connected. And they asked me to come preach. I said, sure, I'll come preach. But really, that's all I was planning is, is coming here. And my wife and I came in that first Sunday. And, man, we and I, I think those listening that God's just really confirmed some things for would understand this. When we walked in that Sunday morning, we already knew. Yep. Before, before there was discussion on salary, before there was discussion, we didn't know anything, man. We knew there was a couple, you know, 120 people here, and they loved God. It, a lot of young couples, and, man, just had good liberty that morning. And we knew that day, so we already knew. Um, and so we flew back home to Baltimore that week. They called us and said, hey, we want to vote on you to be our next pastor here in two weeks. Hmm. And Sarah and I had already known. We're like, we, yeah, let's move forward. Two weeks later on a Sunday night, we were actually in Florida on a bus from Orlando Airport to Disney on one of those magical express buses on a Sunday <laughs> night. And phone rang, and it was them. It, it was one of the deacons here. And I didn't realize we were on speakerphone in front of the whole church. And I had no idea. And they said, well, we just voted. And I had kind of put out a fleece. I don't know if this is right, wrong, indifferent that if it's not 95% or more, we're going to take some time to pray about it. If it's 100% or close to that, man, we're going. Yep. And he said, we voted 100%. And when he said that, he, he said, will you be our next pastor? I get chills just thinking about That's this. That's awesome. Tears. Yep. The place just, he, Sarah doesn't even know what's going on. She's sitting beside me. I don't know I'm on speakerphone in front of the whole church. And I said, yeah, man, I, we're in. And I'm telling you, Brian, you could hear it in the background. It was the, it was a, it was like revival had broken out, man. It's like you're at a football game. Places going nuts. That's awesome. We're, I'm weeping, and Sarah's like, "What did you just do?" I said, "Well, we're moving to we're moving to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina." So <laughs> that's kind of the short story. And that was four and a half years ago. God's blessed ever since. We've had our share of battles, but God's blessed His work and His church, and I believe our obedience in that step of faith. Amen. Well, that's so. a great story and a lot of help to guys that may be thinking about taking a church. You want to have the clear leadership of the Lord, and and there's no magic number on votes but you know between you and the lord you can discern that i did the same thing and interestingly enough when they called me and told me they were on speakerphone in front of the whole church also so that's kind of a unique story that we share i know that one thing that we share in common is a love for expository preaching verse by verse biblical preaching and you know tell me a little bit about about how you came to that what was it that introduced you to becoming an expositor, maybe who influenced you in that way. I know many of us didn't get it from college, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, so that I mean, that's a great question. So I grew up under a man named Dr. Richard Wallace, who pastors in Flower Mound, Texas. He became my pastor when I was a young teenager. And I would say I was under expository preaching then and didn't know it. Hmm. But I grew up under a totally different style of preaching, which really is what got my heart ignited and wanted to be a preacher and so forth. So under him would be my first uh, time that I was exposed to it without knowing it. 
I ended up going to a Bible college that was adamantly against it. And so I kind of took a different direction. I mean, thank God there wasn't uh, live video feeds of sermons back in the 90s and early 2000s, because I, I don't know that anybody would ever have me preach, and I'm still surprised anybody does. When I start looking at sermon titles, I know you feel the same way, just insanity, crazy oh, stuff yeah. we used to preach. Well, really what happened was that Wednesday night I talked about where I was at Scott Tools Church on a Wednesday night. It was really the first time I... I heard what it, I connected what it was that, hey, what this guy's saying mm-hmm. is something different. He would say, look at verse 14. Let me give you point number one. He would say, look at verse 15. Give me, let me give you point number two. Mm-hmm. And then sitting there for 13 years, I was still in a struggle with it, you know, working through it. I'd never done it. I preached a lot of textual sermons, but most topical. Mm-hmm. Man, God just started telling me for me personally. Now, I'm not what you would call an exnobatory preacher. Yeah, that's we right. both have so good friends that are different than us on this. And I'm not, it, this is what, this is my personal conviction. I, I'm, this is what I believe God has for me, my church. You know, I, I feel strongly about it, but I don't, I try not to look down on someone who does it differently mm-hmm. as long as they're preaching the Bible. But so that was kind of my thing, man. I, I sat under that preaching, and for the first time, I was hearing sermons out of Habakkuk and Leviticus and even Revelation and you know books that I hadn't heard preached outside of maybe one phrase taken out of context to say <laughs> something the text didn't say. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, man, he's actually teaching the Bible. I'm gr- For the first time, I had a hunger to really read it because I had a better understanding that this is a story that starts in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation 22. This is something that, man, we need to, this is unreal, basically. It was life-changing for mm-hmm. me. So I taught a Sunday school class, and I started doing it in there. And then I would just sit under pastor sermons and just try to figure out and learn and, and what he was doing. And really, that that was kind of, kind of what really changed my mindset on it, because mm-hmm. I was a reactionary preacher. <laughs> he had allowed me even to travel and preach when I was there. And I would still preach those sugar stick type sermons, mm-hmm. you know, try to, I was always looking for the phrase, you know, oh, yeah. even, I was always looking for that, that phrase in scripture that I could just use as a diving board just to, <laughs> you know, naturally I, I, I lean towards storytelling and being a comedy show naturally, <laughs> you know what I mean? My personality's natural. I love making people laugh. I love staring a hole in people, you know, and really communicate in that way. And I find, and really God just taught me, hey, there's a better way. Amen. I've written 66 books. Right. Every part of it's important. Man, this is, Jake, this is what, this is what I've intended for you, for you to do and to, to balance your preaching and to give people something that was healthy. Mm. And so that was kind of my, when I first started shifting. So I personally educated myself just in my study on how to do it what to do, that kind of thing. And it wasn't easy at first, I mean, just honestly. I'm embarrassed to identify with you on the phrase-grabbing sermons, my very first sermon. I can't even believe I'm going to do this on the air. <laughs> Come on. My very first sermon was called Prepare to Meet Thy God. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I preached it at a nursing home. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I've got tons of them. I used to preach one all the time called Poison in the Pot. You know? Oh, yeah. And although the the... You could preach that. I preached just, man, I started telling everybody what the poison in their pot was, you know, <laughs> rather than what the, you know, I've got hundreds of them. Like, Hey, that, listen, that, as long as you got the, the S outline, right, there's poison, <laughs> there's poison in your scripture, there's poison in your standards. That's right. Listen, that's that, right. hey, that's pretty solid, man, yeah. that poison in the pot stuff. <laughs> I'm tell you right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, it's great. It's, it's embarrassing. It really is. But I'm thankful for the patient grace of God that has turned 
some of nonsense into some sense of trying Absolutely. to do it the right way. So guy, you know, and I would say that to guys that listen to this, you know, not everybody. In fact, I got a text message last night from a guy who's been listening to this series and saying how it's been helping him grow as a preacher. And I would say to sure. him and anybody else, that's exactly what it is. It's growth. It's not that if you arrive at this position that you're superior. I like what you said. I think it's about growing in grace and what God wants you to do and ever ever being a student of the subject and increasing in your ability to do it. And I hope more people will learn how to grow in that area as well. So obviously, Scott Toole was a tremendous influence in your preaching. And I think all of us that know Scott would agree that he's a phenomenal expositor. I know you, you know, you always say on, on social media that, that you're excited about what God did at the old Dead End Road Church, right? So you yeah. are, you're in the country. And you, your church has also experienced a, a, a significant amount of growth in the few in the years that you've been there, and yet your method of preaching is sequential expository preaching through books of the Bible. That's correct, right? Absolutely. And why would you say to somebody listening who might be convinced to take a different perspective? Why is that so significant to you and your church? Well, a couple things, man, that I, I really have thought about is this: right off the bat for those that already know the Lord that are attending your church, it provides a balanced diet. I had a friend that uh, attended a, our church that said, you know, I've never sat under this before and many people are starving and they don't even know it. Hmm. So I think right off the bat, it feeds your people. Those Christians that are there are getting, you don't have to have a hundred discipleship classes if you're preaching the word. They're getting right. discipled every service. It's good. You, you understand what I'm saying? Totally. So, the other thing it is, it, it encourages and teaches the authority of Scripture, mm-hmm. not just about the authority of Scripture. Mm. When you teach Scripture, and it is not just in theory the authority, it is the authority. And okay. so I think that I think it elevates it to that. The other thing that I found, Brian, is it encourages people to study and read ahead personally. So I have multiple adult pastors' kids in our church. Hmm. And I've had a couple of them come to me and said, I have a desire and a hunger to read the word personally like I never have before. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that stems from they know where we're headed. They Mm -hmm. know where we're going. They know that they can study. They can dig in already. It also keeps us from reactionary preaching. It's always right on time. And this is what I found. It's exactly what the people need. Yep. So one of the rebuttals uh, some of my friends will give me even concerning concerning church growth or giving the people what they need, being Holy Spirit-led, something I settled in my mind, and I believe this, is uh, expository preaching, what it does is it really does depend on the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. God knew exactly what our people needed before the foundation of the world. Right. So... It doesn't have to just, I don't have to just beg God on Saturday night, give me a fresh message. No, he's given us a fresh message. Mm. And so I, I think it resonates with people, man. It, 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 it doesn't, another thing that it does is this, and I'm passionate about this as you can tell. It keeps me from being that reactionary preacher that's just going to be political all the time. Yep. It's just going to hit those things I'm passionate. So I'm personally passionate about reaching souls. I'm personally passionate about having, you know, uh, rela- but what it does is it balances the subject matters where God speaks, we speak, where God's silent. Man, it, it keeps us away from those things that we mm-hmm. gravitate towards naturally due to our personalities. I think that's really good. I think another thing that guys need to understand is the old school way of preaching, and and, and it's not just an independent Baptist thing. It's a it's a broad thing. I mean, oh, it could absolutely. be it could be Southern Baptist. It could be it could even be evangelical. The thing is, you hear a lot of guys 
their idea is almost like I need to be in tune with what my people need. And so I've got to create a sermon that's going to hit the spot right where we are. And my rebuttal to that has always been the autonomy and the authority does not come from the perceived needs that the pastor thinks that the congregation has. The authority comes from God already laying out his word and me just preaching it and letting him be the one that directs what the specific needs of the congregation are. Otherwise, you're almost like a pope or something where you are the one that determines what the people actually need. And I think that's actually kind of a dangerous place to be. And it's a confusing place to be. I mean, how how, how do you have a sure word on that? If you're not careful, it might be one family that you're counseling leads you to preach a sermon when the vast majority of the church maybe doesn't even quote unquote need that particular thing at the time. That's why if you just preach God's word, it's completely sufficient and completely authoritative and completely helpful to all people in the congregation. So I appreciate that very much. You obviously don't see a conflict between expository preaching and church growth. Have you ever had somebody challenge you on the subject of how can you you know grow a church with that kind of preaching, or do you see I, that as a conflict? Well, I've been asked that, obviously, many times from other preachers, and not necessarily our people that attend our church. I've had one family the four years I've been here leave because of it, just because maybe, you know, just especially in the South, you know, you're not following the Holy Spirit and so forth. I had one family leave over that. Now, pastors-wise, what I would tell the pastor that's asking that, some of the fastest-growing churches that I know of today, they preach expositorily. Yep. So to me, the I'm just I don't know that it's a formula for it necessarily, but it's definitely not going to kill your church. Yep. And I think it helps. Yes. I think it helps. We've done it since day one here. Pastor Tool in Baltimore, which I'd put his attendance if you want to look at numbers, which I'm not a big numbers guy. I think sometimes we can really have a wrong view of what a, a big church and a small church really is. But if you're looking at just the numbers, I mean, I his church is booming. It has been for years. It's one of the largest secrets in the country. And the the story's the same throughout the country. For instance, even during the the coronavirus thing we've been dealing with, the guys that I've talked to that are Bible preachers, they haven't missed a beat. Their churches aren't struggling even through this virus. Oh, yeah. And I I don't—it's because they're still able to give out the word. They don't have to get cute. They don't have to do all these different things. They still get up, whether it's on camera or with a few few people, and they're preaching the word. People are hungry— those that are saved will have a desire for the word. Amen. And so I think it'll build your church. If any, you know, if anything, it's going to build it. And I think your church, my church, and many, 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 many others across the country are a great testimony. Of- I think it's important because a program church, a church that focuses on programs or an attractional model. The coronavirus has effectively wiped out programs and attraction. I mean, what are you going to attract them to? A video on TV? I mean, they can watch some of the most productive sermons on TV from anybody in any place with multi-million dollar facilities and multi-million dollar, you know, live stream equipment. Some old boys just got a, frankly, an iPhone sitting up on the front row. That's right. But if he's preaching the word and that's what his people are used to then his church hasn't lost a beat. And I know that's true of me. I mean, I just looked at our June numbers as far as we were 30% over budget in the month of June. It's crazy. Yeah, we're the same way. Uh, Yeah. We're the same way. And I think there's just 
biblical preaching builds disciples, and disciples stay true to Christ no matter what's going on. And I think that's why there's no conflict between church growth and biblical preaching. So that's solid. I want to spend just a few minutes on this subject in a practical way about sermon illustrations. You know, a lot of people ask a lot of questions about sermon illustrations of me and, and where I get them and how I gather them and what the value is and so on and so forth. And it is an important subject. Why don't you talk about, first of all, the value of a good sermon illustration? Yeah, so the value of it, man, it helps bring a truth to light many times. It helps people. The, Jesus, with his parables, took their culture. You know, he talked about farming a lot. Why did he do that? Because it related to them. He talked about, you know, parties, different things like that because it related to the person. It helped get the truth that he was trying to drive home through. So I think it's a very valuable thing. Obviously, it's something we need to be careful about. But at Mm -hmm. the same time, I think, man, it can help a person that may not have an understanding of something to see what you're trying to teach through the scriptures. So I think it's a very valuable thing. I know some that are against sermon illustrations. I would not be one of them. I think they're I think they're a great help to just bring forth truth and to yeah, teach truth. Absolutely. It's you know, I think it was Spurgeon that said good sermon illustrations are like windows. They open up the room of what you're trying to communicate. And not just Jesus in the word. I mean, you've got you've got David. I mean, Nathan and David, there was a, a serious sermon illustration used in that exchange. Sure. You got the apostle Paul and his writings, I mean, using athletic metaphors and farming metaphors and and other metaphors to drive home the truth. And I think, you know, if you step outside of the world of preaching, illustrative material is just good communication. It's not about it's not about sermon philosophy. It's just about being a good communicator. So tell me just a little bit about where do you find some of your most valuable sermon illustrations? I would say this to every preacher that listens is read, read, read. Yes. I get almost all of my sermon illustrations. And I'm not big on canned sermon illustrations. Um, that's just me personally. But m- most of what I get are going to be things that I read. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just read widely, read regularly, read, read, read. And then I know some are against this. I do use personal illustrations many times, but I'm not the hero in those illustrations. I use self-deprecating ones most of the time. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I think people relate to that, and I think it helps. So, that's where most of mine are. And I'll just, just in full transparency, I don't typically have very rarely in my sermon manuscript or outline, is there going to be an illustration typed out typically? And this is just how I roll. They come to me while I'm preaching and they can, many times they are a great help. Other times they are a great hurt in that situation. Um, but that's how I kind of roll with it, man. I mean, many times, you know, so I, I, where do I store them? They're in my head most of the time, mm-hmm. and they come up, and I'll use them. But I would just say this, read, 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 read. There's so many illustrations people have never heard if you're just getting good books, old oh, yeah. books, getting good books. Read not just theology books. Read books about people, biographies, autobiographies. Man, you'll get some of the coolest stuff that you've never heard rather than Googling it using the same thing that guys are using every single week. Yeah, I would say to Um, anybody listening, a huge caution would be don't go to some sermon illustration repository online like sermonillustrations.com or ministry127.com. I mean, it just... If you're doing that, basically you're using a, a pool of illustrations that's essentially everybody's using. And there's something fresh about reading for yourself. In fact, I would tell you back to, you know, we talked about Shane at the beginning, but I will never forget Shane Lewis using a sermon illustration 
out of the book he read on when character is king by it's about Ronald Reagan. Yes, it, great book. I meant it that story about the the older woman from California that came to the um, White House. Oh yeah. Oh my word. It may be one of the most classic sermon illustrations I've ever used. In fact, when I heard Shane give that sermon, I went immediately and bought the book. I looked up that story for myself and I started using that illustration because it is a powerhouse illustration. Yes. You got to be a reader. Read good books, read good articles. You know, I, I subscribe to several news things on Twitter where, you know, Fox News and sports like ESPN will come to my phone and I'm getting good stories all the time. And those become some of the greatest illustrations that you will ever use. For me, I like to store them in a online system called Evernote. Some people use Evernote, and I tag them with various labels of topics. And then when I use one in a sermon, I actually write it in the illustration. I use this on such and such a date in such and such a sermon, only so that if I ever go back and find it again, I don't repeat it too often in too many sermons, which may be a challenge for some guys that pastor somewhere for you know lengthy periods of time. But of course, you know, on the other hand, my people don't ever remember what I say anyway. So <laughs> no, that's the truth. Yeah. I probably use the same three sermon illustrations all the time and nobody even knows or cares. So that's right. Um, yeah. The other thing I do too, and I, I know this this is just preference, is we've all been through a lot as far as suffering goes. And mm-hmm. I think that suffering many times make makes us who we are. And I think it's good for people to hear that and to mm-hmm. see that. When we've been through hard times, man, you know, my dad left when I was eight. I think that resonates with some people in, in our church. No oh, and this guy can serve God, and he's done that. You know, my dad died of cancer. My stepdad died of cancer. Who can't relate to that mm-hmm. and talk about how God's grace and God's glory, you know, through those situations? So I wouldn't be scared of those. I think when you use personal illustrations, though, the big key is this. You're not the hero of the story. Absolutely. I'm not the hero of the story. So I would just caution on that. But yeah, sermon illustrations are great. Somebody story. somebody said one time that people identify with your failures more than your successes. So yeah, if you I if you true. I think it's a great thing. And it, you know, it always scares me when I hear a, a guy in the sermon there's more about him than there is about Jesus and it's all positive and I'm like, well, yeah. that's probably not a good thing. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Hey, look, Jake, before we go, if you had one or two minutes to sit down with a young pastor which which is my predominant audience, and you were to tell them just some some keys on maybe improving to be a preacher or just something that you wish you would have known when you started, just maybe one word of admonition before we get out of here. Yeah, I would say this, and this is so simple. It's make sure that your walk with God is what it should be. Mm. We're not performing. We've got to be men of God. We've got to be deep in the Word personally. And I would just say that. The reason I say that is something I struggled with early on is just getting in, digging in, being faithful in prayer, being faithful in Bible reading. And then I would just encourage you not to compare your preaching or yourself with every other show in town or across the country. Be who God made you to be. That's something that I had to work through, man. And until I got there and I was okay with it, I really struggled. Be who God made you to be. That's great, Jake. Hey, man, I want to thank you for taking your time. I know you're busy to be on the Brian Sams podcast. And to all my listeners, thank you for joining us again at the Brian Sams podcast. You can find the show notes and more information about Jake Potter and his church at briansams.com. Until next time, may God bless you as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ.